Hey, it's Eric Newcomer with Dead Cat. I'm here with uh, Tom and Katie. We are going to talk about uh, Brian Armstrong, the Coinbase CEO. He loves to communicate in tweet storm. Uh, he wrote one, I think, you know, a year ago, basically, talking about uh, politics and companies, sort of right after the Black Lives Matter protests, trying to stamp out, you know, employee revolution inside of Coinbase. We're going to talk about that one, which I think he recently took a, a victory lap on, sort of saying uh, that he looks prescient. And then there's another one uh, from October where he complains about CEOs getting criticized. Tom, do you have it up? You have a better reading voice than I do, or I can read them if, if you send me have. send me the link. I can do my best, Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll we'll back our way into the politics ones. This is from October fifth uh, at Brian underscore Armstrong. Uh, one, I do worry that as companies get to be more successful, the number of attacks from the press, politicians, and trolls on CEOs, and rounds of congressional testimony make the job not fun, and they leave and they leave from burnout. Gates, Page, Bezos, dot, 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 to America could be losing some of its best talent from this, America. Uh, and it has some parallels to what has happened to successful CEOs in China. Oh, my God. Okay, I'll keep going through this. You, I, didn't, I didn't read the second one. Um, how could you, I'm sorry, how could you compare what is happening to the C, I'm assuming, is he talking about like Jack Ma and like, right. you know, yes. get, CEOs get, disappearing? Get content, and like, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, you don't get moved to house, oh, he, he lays it out. You don't get moved to house arrest in the US. No, you don't. You do not. Uh, but it is, I'm not going to laugh. But it is our own version of it, putting something that gets too media. successful. Yeah, it's American house arrest is getting uh, a tweet. Uh, putting something that gets too successful in its place, three parentheses, which doesn't seem very American, by the way. For Really? Of course, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to finish this, I swear. Uh, of course, every company deserves to have scrutiny and should take an honest look at what it's doing well and not well. But the market solves a lot of this for us. People vote with their wallet, choosing what to buy. And the best way to keep flawed companies in check is to have new startups come disrupt them. So how do you build a company today that is resistant to demoralizing attacks from trolls the more successful it becomes? I'm not sure. Uh, but here, here are a few ideas. First, hire employees and build a board of independent thinkers who are insulated from biased third parties scripting their minds. Inoculate your supply chain. Second, give customers, not just employees, a sense of ownership. Crypto has pioneered this. I think I can stop. Yeah. This, right. I mean, we don't. We don't need that, to go that's through all of the end. I mean, prescriptions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean the, Facebook would be facing a lot less hate if all their users owned a piece of the network. If people felt like everyone was growing together, there would be a greater sense of unity. I just think the last. This Facebook is point, a, This is actually not an coming while yeah. everybody's attacking Facebook. So I mean, Facebook is clearly a big subtext to this. I, I mean, we as the users, we. We do own a piece of the network, and we can choose to not use it anymore, like so many people have. Um, what <laughs> I mean, I guess I just feel like welcome to being the CEO of, I don't know, J.P. Morgan or Walmart or Starbucks or any other company that's faced real crit criticism by politicians, reporters, and consumers. I'm not really sure what his point is, and it's not like the people he chose, Bezos and Page, had these like <laughs> had these really tiny, short-lived careers at their companies because um, right, you and, know, they couldn't. And Bezos the owns the Washington Post, so it, he's yeah. he's tweeted before that or said before 
it, you know, CEOs need to have a tough skin. I mean, yeah, it, it does. It, this seems like a very San Francisco uh, complaint, you know, just like, oh, criticism sucks. Or at least the people that still live in San Francisco. Complain <laughs> or just the complaint I mean, of somebody who hasn't really looked at any other industry before, <clears throat> any other large, impactful industry. Uh, I mean, it's almost too easy to attack the logic behind the first one in that thread about, you know, the, the not making it fun anymore. Um, I, so I almost just don't even want to spend any time on it because it's, you know, we're now like a week almost from that tweet and everyone has just destroyed it. But the idea <laughs> of, you know, there being some sort of market solution that is opposed to cancel culture, which is effectively what he's talking about, is pretty hysterical because that's the same thing. I mean, the point of cancel culture as a concern, no one's forcing it. Like it's coming, it's a grassroots movement. Uh, yeah. So if your point is like people can vote with their wallets uh, as a way to correct the mistakes uh, that companies or people are making, dude, that's cancel culture. I don't know how else to describe it right. to you. It's, you're actually that offensive. Well, it's also it's amplified by social yeah. media, the very industry and the very, you know, if he's defending Facebook, I know it's that Facebook that allows cancel culture to exist. There would be no cancel culture if there weren't social media. Yeah, they, he wants to make it about the press. Clearly, I mean, he says press, politicians, and trolls. Trolls, trolls right, is a big mysterious trolls. escape word because I feel like really it's the public. You know, the to some degree, I think the press is more pro these companies than at least the average Twitter user, which is I think the world he's communicating he's with. Yeah, I mean, again, this this is like just drawing everything back to Twitter. I think even journalists will. Uh, be more critical about companies on Twitter. When you actually look at their work, it tends to be fairly even-handed, if not pro-company, a lot of the time. So there's a lot of extrapolation made on like what you know the public is and what you know sentiment is based on their unhappiness on Twitter. Which you know, dude, just get off Twitter. It's 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 it'll say it sounds like if that's a huge part of your problem, you can solve that one pretty easily. It, it does. Seem, it seems like a Twitter-specific problem. Like the New York Times is not writing about. Coinbase that much like they did a big investigation into it but what's keeping it in the headlines or what's keeping it in Brian Armstrong's mind presumably <laughs> is just people at tweeting him right I saw that um, Brian Chesky is going to be interviewed on Axios uh, this evening we're recording this on a Sunday uh, in which the the snippet that I saw said, you know, like, what are the biggest threats facing U.S. tech companies this, these days? And his response was something like the fact that the public hates it right now. Um, and I've also seen, you know, an ex-Facebook executive out there talking about how in San Francisco, you know, the public or, or politicians or whatever it is, is doing their best to destroy the network effects of the city because they hate these companies so much. And I... I to me, it's just hard to look at any of these complaints and not see a, I'm sorry to use the word, but like a whininess on the fact that they're just not universally adulated by the public, that there isn't like a, a complete sense of agreement with everything they stand for and everything that they're they literally do. just being treated like every other industry. Yeah. And people right. do it like is. tech companies, right? I mean, just, I, I mean, the data is, yeah, just like is there's, a little there are old, people who like Am banks. Amazon's one of the most trusted organizations right. in, yeah. in the world. I, I was <laughs> I was remarking to my girlfriend, you know, we were traveling internationally and you're dealing with like terrible passport infrastructure and governments and you're like, oh, this, the government doesn't work that well. I mean, even as like a super cynical tech reporter, uh, this is going to get me booed, I think. But if I had to trust any organization to move me around the world, I think it would be Amazon. You know, like that, 
That is my genuine, sincere. Are you a box? Sincere like, belief. Yeah, I'm unfortunately, saying, the packaging is quite wasteful. Do, yeah. I'm just saying, if you needed to get an organization to do it, you know, like I, I there are a few without more understanding why or how. So you would choose like Amazon. Yeah, I <laughs> if I could like, yeah. if I was like, who do you really trust? You, they need to like do some sort of logistical feat. Yeah, and and still, you know, I think we should spend most of our time in, as press scrutinizing Amazon because that's sort of the base assumption that Amazon's huge is what we all rely on it it's it's a big part of our society kudos to you you know i do we really need to say that all the time like that's implicit well, the reason they get criticism is because they're so big we think and wow, because they have power right. and influence right do they need a pat on the back too it's like you got it like you get the money you know and you never say thank you that's what the money is for yeah the, the also the most concerning parts of Amazon or the part that gets criticized the most by the press or, or whatever by critics are things that usually happen behind the scenes, right? There are actions taking place in their warehouses or, you know, maybe the internal machinations of their lobbying efforts or, you know, HQ2 and things like that. I mean, the reason Facebook probably is the most hated of all of these big companies right now is because it's all laid out there in for public view. Like we as the public are participating in it, but also you know, the unhappiness that we see politically, socially right now, and then the part of it that we have attributed to Facebook is just so available. It's in this kind of like public view that we can find our anger in it placed very viscerally. Yeah, we were part uh, of it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like, you know, Amazon is probably the least of all of them, right? There well, are these the, Amazon of... just faces the same criticism that Starbucks or Walmart faces. Amazon faces the criticism that any large employer that employs, you know, a lot of people with varying degrees of benefits, you know, so it, it's, it's no, it's really no different than the way that Walmart was criticized a couple of decades ago, right. or that Starbucks right. was criticized a Walmart few years a ago for its, yeah. for how it schedules part-time employees, basically destroying their lives in order to totally. maximize like a scintilla of profit for Starbucks. Like there was a, the, the good that came out of that reporting is that Starbucks decided that it was worth it for whatever reason. I'm not going to get in their heads, but it was worth it to change that system. And ultimately, it was a benefit to employees. So I think that Amazon is actually criticized just like any other large corporate employer. Facebook is different. Facebook is very different. I, I, yeah, because, you know, go, go ahead. ahead or... Well, yeah, I think that's a great distillation of it that part of the issue with Facebook and why why it can feel like everybody has an opinion because so much of what they're doing wrong is self-evident. Like, obviously, there's a lot of good reporting on the internal workings and we learned some of that and and that's all important and I don't want to underplay that but it does feel like a lot of the problems with Facebook you can just sort of consume and, because and it's us see, we right? know the problems with Facebook right right um yeah I, I do wish like in the in the media critiques like this is talking about the press first the the Brian Armstrong thing that we're, we're pivoting around here I I do I wish we would just sort of like distinguish between like press reporters gathering new information, like the stories you're outlining on Amazon, where it's like stuff we don't see where they're actually, where people are doing reporting. But so much of the stuff they hate in the press is just like, yeah, how they manifest, how the reporters behave on Twitter, op-ed columns. Like, I feel like we almost strategically as the media should get, want to get to a point where we collapse op-ed columns into just like that's just a person you know it's it's just like those should just be treated as people and not distinguished as press because like they're just mad that like the public 
members of the public disagree with what with what they're doing. You know, what I mean? it's not well, that's largely. Do you, do you agree? Or yeah. Disagree with that? Yeah. No. And I, 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 this all just seems to be boomeranging from the collapse of the mythology that a lot of tech executives and venture capitalists and people in the industry created over the last decade, which is that we're going to do big industry, but we're going to do it different. We're going to find a way to inspire people, not just to make a lot of money by building huge businesses that take over smaller businesses in all aspects of our lives, but we're going to do it with a mission and we're going to do it in a way that is inspiring to the people that not only work at the companies, but the people that use it. And when it comes down to it, we're now like, you know, a decade, two decades into that movement. We've seen that everything just kind of falls back into place of what, you know, the, the trajectory of big business. And you may think you've done it differently and, and think you've built a completely new uh, infrastructure, like like social infrastructure around it. But it's it just ends up being the same thing. And you're just going through, you know, like Katie can probably talk more to this than, than any of us about like what kind of happened with the banking industry in 2008. Now, obviously, it hasn't destroyed, you know, the economy in, in the way that that did, but people just lost faith in, you know, the positive aspects of this business and sort of see it as a, a, an industry that enriches a lot of people. And yes, not but the, the industry is so embedded in our lives. We can't, right. we can't walk away from, you know, JP Morgan or Citibank. We have to use them. And similarly... You could argue that social media has also been embedded in our lives. Like, we don't have to be on Twitter. But again, I've said this a million times. If you live in a rural part of the country, almost all of your services are on Facebook. So your city hall's website is a Facebook page. Your kid's elementary school website is a Facebook page. If you want to know what's going on at your church, it's a Facebook page. So there is a way in which it's really hard to walk away from a service like Facebook, too. So it's more like, how do we change the company? Because we're, we're in many ways stuck stuff with the company. We aren't the three of us. We can walk away from Facebook and Instagram, but not Twitter. We're addicts. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's it. Can, cannot. And, and when we, and when we all quit if, our if jobs, I go to as a reporters, program, I can get away from Twitter, but uh, otherwise right. when, when we're no longer reporters and we're, and we're working, you know, for the marketing departments of large venture capital firms, we'll never be on Twitter again. But it's funny, even you don't have to be on Twitter for it to affect your lives, right? I mean, in, in our in our now trash canned episode that was recorded on Friday, <laughs> um, you know, I always bring up my mom as like the perfect example of like... The, Hi, Mrs. Dutton. Yeah, as like the, the American who is incredibly influenced by the news that she consumes, largely through CNN and I don't know, the Chronicle and, and whatever else. She has never been on Twitter. I think she briefly joined it. Uh, during the 2016 election because there was so much talk of it. She's like, what, what's this about? And she made an account she got on and she's like, oh, no, this is impossible to use and this is scary. But the opinions that get discussed on Twitter obviously influence uh, a lot of the mainstream news. And it's almost like Twitter is the AWS of opinion making. Like you don't, <laughs> you don't know that it's there, but it exists as this fundamental infrastructural layer to the way the broader world works. That well, opinions are being workshopped it, on it all the time to find right. the most, basically the most outrageous opinions, the stickiest ones. And then yeah. those are the ones that then break through and land on Fox or on you know, MSNBC or whatever. Right. It's like Don Lemon reads Twitter or his producers read Twitter and then they help him formulate, you know, mm. the talking points that are going to, you know, really stimulate the particular audience that still watches CNN. And and yeah, I think like, again, it gets back to the idea that people are unhappy in a lot of ways right now. And tech is behind so much of it just because of the tools and systems that they built. And these CEOs, 
are going to have to just reckon with that. Like, you can't just blame the press and say we're, you know, independently writing mean things about them. Uh, and if we just stopped doing it, everyone would feel better. Well, I think there's actually a good bridge between uh, these tweet storms in what you guys have been saying. Because, I mean, we basically have the tech companies, particularly Google and Facebook, setting themselves up as these, like, world-changing companies. And there's nothing that the press loves more than when you set high standards for yourself. The press and the public, you know, because you'll be measured against the standards you publicly articulate. So then you're not, you know, a tobacco company. You're this world-changing company. You get held by high standards. And then we have Armstrong coming in and saying, actually, we're a company with a specific mission. We shouldn't have politics at our company. And so we're going to we're gonna stick to the mission. We're not everything and anything. And so then you get this sort of tweet storm that is definitely maligned by the press. I, I'm sure I, I mean, I was super negative about it. And I, I still have some issues with it that, that we can expand on. But then in his sort of victory lap, uh, September 30th, you know, he says, what was amazing was the contrast between the news following my post and the reaction from employees and people who spoke to me in private. While the media reports were mostly negative and it even spawned some retaliatory and intellectually dishonest hit pieces, the reaction both from employees and people I spoke to in private was overwhelmingly positive. In I fact, this, go ahead. This is absurd. When have I ever told my boss that what he did was dumb and shitty? <laughs> like, what the f- that is insane. Of course, every single employee who bothered to say something to you said something positive. Yeah, it's amazing how people during their performance reviews were so complimentary about the systems <laughs> I put in place. I just think like, dude, if everyone is so complimentary about your policies behind the scenes, then why do you need to feel the need to in public defend them? Just ignore it. Clearly, it doesn't matter. It's not reflective of reality. So so the fact that he is taking this quote unquote victory lap and and I would just like to see the data behind the, the positive because there are ways to measure these sort of things, right? Attrition rates, did those go down after you implemented these policies? Did employee morale surveys, which I know are not the perfect measure, but at least it's something. Like if he had pointed to those things, I right. think I mean, he says we've meaningful. grown our headcount about 110% while our diversity numbers have remained the same or even improved on some metrics. I mean, that's super thin. Um, well, that's actually kind of <laughs> shitty. Like if you it, it doubled your employee size and only barely budged on right. diversity, and that's especially when people. It's hard to yeah, say that's a big victory. Right. Um, I just, you know, I, I don't disagree with the, I don't disagree with the idea that it's good to focus more on work than on, you know, what people are angry about on Twitter vis-a-vis politics. I don't think that's a bad message to an employee base, which is let's, let's spend our, let's spend our work hours working on work. Uh, but But why do you, why do you think the press was so negative at the time? And now we were I'd... all just unhappy. I mean, it was a, it was such a you know tumultuous time. Well, I was going to it say was, it was an extraordinary it, time. It wasn't. It, it wasn't. Yeah. If 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 we could rewind and go back to sort of a pre-COVID moment, um, and if a CEO had said, "I really just think that we're all talking about politics too much. It's a distraction," I don't think it would have felt. I don't think people would have paid much attention. It just happened to come in this moment where we were dealing with a global pandemic sort of this like bizarre, um, you know, this sort of like bizarre moment where the government was had forced us all to stay in our homes, which I think most people could not have conceived of in the United States until that minute. And then like really important conversations about race that were sparked by 
one of the most horrifying viral videos of a person being killed by another human being that any of us have ever seen in a really long time. So in that moment to say, "Mm, I just really think that it's weird to talk about politics felt weird in that moment. We needed outlets, right? And, And yeah, that was one of the first kind of communal things that had happened since the beginning of the pandemic. I remember as the protests were going on. Yeah, it was on. like that and Tiger King. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Two two sides of the same dystopia. <laughs> no. But, but you know what I mean? It was like... No, like, no I'm not being sarcastic. It was insane. Like, both things reveal dark aspects of our, of our country and right. our, our society. I, I, don't, I definitely think there's a de- degree to which Armstrong never makes the politics sweet storm. We're still getting to the same place. Like, there's just a nature that movement sort of burn really hot and then it's not like he convinced people i think that i mean obviously you know there are some ceos who you know set policies and cultural norms that sort of discouraged employee revolution but i do think there's a degree to which these things just sort of play out and sort of the heat, the heat was gonna when it was gonna go down generally taking credit for it or not is sort of outside of his control i am very empathetic to if it is true that at Coinbase and at other companies, there were intense and ongoing political discussions talking about larger social issues, international politics or whatever happening on Slack. That actually does sound hellish. (laughs) That that sounds completely destabilizing for a company, an awful venue to do it. And we can maybe explain why that was going on. Uh, Well, I was going to say, I think I think that the Daily Beast has extensively reported on how (laughs) that happened at The New York Times. So I can talk about it because it's public. But it was no fun, It was right? a distraction. Yeah, you got, you got tied not, up. I am not. Right? I am not weighing in on the veracity of the arguments being made. I'm not, and the legitimacy of them. I'm not criticizing my criticizing my colleagues for having strong opinions and sharing them in Slack. I'm just saying that as it became, as it moved from Slack out into the public sphere through the very dogged reporting of other reporters like Max Tanny. <laughs> Why haven't we hired Max Tanny? <laughs> anyway, so, you know, as, as that happened... The New York Times ombudsman? It's, like a black ombudsman? it's really hard to argue that that wasn't a, a, a distraction. I mean, it's impossible to say that it wasn't a distraction. Yeah. To the tech company specifically, part of this is also just inevitable in a relation to this focus on mission that we keep coming back to, which is the way that these companies were pitched to a lot of people is you can be a part of the change for good in the world. And right. if you believe that, you're going to think that everything the company stands for has to be a reflection of all of your social values. And if you've subsumed yourself to the company's mission and your personal mission, then when things are going on in the world, that's your outlet to express it. Like you've now yeah. created like your sole communal, uh, uh, you know, spot where these things can be hashed out. And if and, you don't have anything else, then like, of course, it's going to explode on Slack because you've given up all other aspects of your social expression. To and the to the extent that a, a media company is a mission driven company, you know, it, there's actually a, a strong and valid comparison between what's happening in some Silicon Valley companies or some startups that were that consider this, themselves mission driven in some respect, and what was happening in some media companies. I'll just keep it <laughs> general, um, yeah. because if the companies have pitched themselves to their employees as a business that also does something for the greater good, if you're sitting at home thinking a lot about you know protests that are happening around the country in the wake of George Floyd, or thinking a lot about the fact that we are even home 
trapped in our houses because of a global pandemic that we can't understand, but people have very, you know, varying opinions on whether or not politicians are able to handle it. That does speak to a sense of, you know, outrage, and it also speaks to a sense of what are we doing about it. To some level, I want a company to be mission driven, right? I, I should be cheering for if companies want to take on, maybe as a shareholder, I wouldn't, but as sort of a member of the public, it's good for companies to take on positive missions. It's just probably clarifying to everybody involved if it's a narrow enough mission that people can understand it. Otherwise, you're spending a ton of time soul searching about it. Or I don't know, how would you articulate? Like, shouldn't we as reporters be glad that Google at once said, you know, do no evil because then you can hold them to that. And that's better than a tobacco company that just says like, fuck you or whatever. I don't know. Um, the, uh, I don't, do you disagree or you're like so much on the level like, oh, the world would just be better if like profit driven. I'm sorry. I just get right. distracted by like the nuclear submarine issue, <laughs> espionage yeah. issue. So I just need to send like two emails really quick. All right. Okay. Well, I, I can, I can deal with that question. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Google has been slammed for now, years. Now, now we're at a to... low, low quality uh, Harvard Business School. Like, is is mission? I mean, maybe out of yeah. our depth, but that, that's why I was trying to frame it what? more normatively. Just like, isn't it good for the public, at least if they hold themselves to that, and then we can hold hold them to some level of of benevolence. Yeah, I, I mean, at some point, everything is just a reflection of: Are you happy with the products that you're participating in and buying? Let's put it like this. I think it's a cheap shot at times for the press to anytime something happens that is, you know, moderate to extremely evil in terms of Google's, uh, you know, actions that you say, huh, that doesn't sound like don't be evil. Like, I, I don't think it's a particularly intelligent way to cover a company. And I don't know. I mean, Eric, you wrote about Uber through its most tumultuous period the cause of, of some of its tumult. Uh, I don't know what the company. Yeah, there I don't think time. it was actually. Uh, Travis never seemed to have an issue thing. with it, that, right? It, I mean, it, their point it, right. was like, we're going to be very big and very good at what we do. Right. right? Yeah, no, I, I don't think that was a case where the company sort of oversold how good it was and then people were disappointed. I think it, you know, <laughs> just became so <laughs> untenable that, you know, right. it was public revolt. Yeah, but missions are interesting because I just think that you can say what you want to be perceived as all you want, um, but the actions that you take and just the industry that you're part of and the larger capitalistic system that you participate in are going to ultimately take control. Naive. I don't know. I mean, like Nike, like all these brands, like it, how, what they tell us about who they are is much. I mean, people aren't like, oh, Nike is like a brand that manufacture you know it, it is very much like how they articulate themselves in ads like i'm surprised this is I don't, I, I don't think this is your real view here because what they say about themselves is what people tend to believe i think people either like the products or they don't you know i mean people like amazon because it gets them their stuff very quickly <laughs> right. at what seems like a reasonable price facebook when they like it it's because they can communicate with their friends Google is like a very good tool to find the stuff that you want. And with YouTube, you know, an entertainment platform. And then, you know, we can go on down the list. So, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I products don't necessarily speaks. Yeah. 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 And I don't think that necessarily needs to be. Oh, Apple. We didn't mention. I mean, Apple is like they make stuff that you'd like. Like it's as, as physical good of any of these things. And people think they work well and, and they look nice. Um and I don't think it necessarily like the fact that these things are or are not connected to a larger mission necessarily needs to be evil and, and like and, and like a sign of hypocrisy. I just think like for a reporter, anytime you're covering a company, you have to 
you just have to move outside of that particular frame pretty quickly because it's just not that intelligent. Like when you're talking to sources and, you know, if you're covering Google, you're like, hmm, that sounds like that could be kind of easy. Sure. Yeah. Uh, just just isn't isn't that useful. But I do think that, you know, it, like we were mentioning earlier in the episode, we're just at a period now where these companies, th their influence, their power is never at a greater point than it has ever been. And the implications of that are vast. Which but, ties it back you know, to I, Brian Armstrong's main problem being he has to listen to general people on Twitter, right? I mean, if he was right. just talking to his customers, they would have different complaints than sort of than whatever he's probably fielding when he opens up his Twitter feed. And so then it makes his CEOs get too much criticism stuff is just like uh don't don't read it if if you don't want to you don't want to see it pay somebody to read it and tell you what what actually matters, you know. I it's amazing that our media diets, I guess, shape our brain so much. And he, even the CEO of, you know, this huge company is subject to that. So, you know, we're recording this on a Sunday and um, the VP of communications at Facebook, um, Nick Clegg, former Lib Dem prime minister. What was he? He was like a high ranking British official. It's embarrassing that I don't know the specific name, but, um, you know, he, he's making the rounds and getting kind of browbeaten by anchors at all the major cable networks over the Facebook whistleblower's testimony that happened last week. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of complaints by reporters, some reporters. I mean, I can mention Kara Swisher specifically because she has so many followers, is very <laughs> angry that uh, he didn't speak to her. And, you know, the interviews that Facebook is doing right now are not with the beat reporters. When I say Facebook, I mean, like, you know, Zuck and or Nick Clegg and people at that echelon are not with the beat reporters. It's with um, these national cable news figures. Um, I mean, do you think that's a valid criticism? Do you think I, it's important? I understand why they're doing it. Oh, sorry, I'm back. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Okay. sorry. <laughs> Espionage. Um, no, I understand why they're why they're doing it because they need to make their appeal to the general public because they're not afraid of regulation per se. They're afraid of people like you and me no longer using their products. They're afraid of everybody deleting WhatsApp. So their appeal needs to go to the world of WhatsApp users. It doesn't need to go to, you know, the people who read business press, who read tech press, you know, right. they, whether if you're the, I'm not saying I like the strategy and I'm not saying that I think the strategy is good. I'm just saying I, I really understand the logic behind it. They're, they need to appeal to your mom, Tom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. Get, who who uh, hates Mark Zuckerberg right now. Right. For and they various non-defined reasons. So they need to about. go on Good Morning America and make the argument for why you don't have to hate Mark Zuckerberg and why the products aren't driving teenagers to kill themselves. And making that argument to like the business pages of the New York Times or to the Wall Street Journal. Is your mom reading that? No. Right. Exactly. Right. But as beat reporter or like as savvy insider reporters, I do think it makes sense to cheer for Facebook to give interviews to the most sophisticated reporters. Oh, and and yes, they're tactically going to try to give it to <laughs> sort of simplistic TV reporters and I don't make, even think it's because makes the TV sense reporters for are simplistic or the, the TV reporter. Like. I don't think it's because the t they think the TV reporters don't know what they're doing. I think they're thinking about the audience. Sure. Either way. If, if, if Kara were to do the interview on Good Morning America, I think they would do the interview with Kara. If Kara were to do the interview hmm. on, you know, like a widely watched platform on 60 Minutes, I think they would do it with her. I, I, but I TV really is a different the, kind of win the than print. Like print... The win, you still sort of have to convince the reporter that you're saying something smart since it's oh, passing through but, them. 
Well, I, I, I don't think that all TV is stupid. I, don't, I just don't agree with that argument. Sure. I really think it's audience. I think if you want Tom's mom to not delete her Instagram account, you're not going to reach her in the business pages of the New York Times. You are, you are going to reach her on 60 Minutes, or you'll reach her on wherever the hell they've been talking. Uh, you know, it's, I, it's, it's, I think it's more audience. And of course, yeah. you know, we saw this, we saw politicians. So funny, because I think your take on this is really different when politicians did it, Eric. But we've seen politicians do it as well in ways that infuriated me anyway. No, I, I've <laughs> you know, always when, said it's when, good. When I said it was good for, for them to do. Two ferns, but he won't sit for the Washington Post. It's like, what's your problem, Obama? That sucks. But like, I do understand the, the I understand why, even if I deeply disagree with it. Well, in politics, I'm more skeptical of a lot of the beat reporters than on. Well, tech. I remember getting into an Which argument about that earlier. Well, like oh Politico no, sorry. Yeah, style, you know, yeah, just let's like go there. Just, is it is it is it um, like which which Washington Post reporters do you think would do a softball interview? I don't know. Yeah, well, really, is it Ashley Parker? You think wouldn't do a good no. job? Is it uh, <laughs> is it Tony Rom? You think would throw those softballs? <laughs> they, and you, uh, do you are you telling me that tech reporters have a better reputation for not being softball reporters than political reporters at the Washington Post? I just think, you know, in a presidential campaign, reporters want to frame the story around the storylines that they're like breaking news on. I mean, it, you saw like, going way reporters back. Reporters do not do this. Right. I mean, they, they do. But, I, you know, I just believe in some <laughs> of the criticisms of Facebook more than I do sort of the angles played against. That's uh, right. Because you hate Obama. it when people critique Obama because <laughs> you worked on his campaign. <laughs> As an intern, yeah, but as an intern, I, 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 you certainly, were 12 I, and you believe. I believe in Obama. Like, yeah, I'm. A, I, See, this is right. Right. Okay, okay, okay. we can we can get shade on here next time. We can we can give Eric more people. <laughs> I want beat reporters to get thoughtful interviews occasionally. I, I think that's good in politics and tech. I believe that's important, and I think it's important that the institutions, whether it's a campaign or the apparatus of a company respond and engage with reporters i couldn't believe in that more strongly but, but you're, you're just saying that it's really unlikely that a political reporter will get anything out i just think reporter sitting with them whereas you think reporters, that whereas you think a tech reporter will actually get something out of mark zuckerberg sitting with them but you don't think that a political reporter will get something out of you know a politician sitting with them I agree with i think in both cases with zuckerberg and with a presidential candidate they're they end up going for like you're get trying to get bad quotes it's very similar to tv i think what's actually more substantive in a lot of these cases is that like the press secretary or that the actual company apparatus is engaging with like the factual responses and it's not so much a like a single interview that's like the most important as as opposed to sort of like good faith sort of engagement on on the factual reporting I don't know. Do you disagree with that? I just think that that undermines the argument you just made. <laughs> so, but I, I do agree with it. I just don't. I, I think that you're sort of the way that you distinguish between the tech press and the political press doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, I think that anytime you're covering a beat, there are questions about how you're going to approach tough questions, tough lines of inquiry. Um, but I, I just, I guess I just don't understand this distinction that you make between 
um, you know, this ability for a tech reporter to really get a lot out of an interview with Mark Zuckerberg, but that you just don't think a political reporter could get a lot out of a candidate. But uh, can I can I interject here uh, just to ask, like, what does get a lot out of in, in yeah, these circumstances end up I, meaning? Because, you know, these yeah. people are incredibly coached. The best you could get from them is a slip up. Is, is, is a Mark Zuckerberg actually on Kara's podcast a couple of years back making a truly awful comparison about like the Holocaust, Holocaust But that thing denial. was on purpose. I mean, uh, that, right. that's that was right. Which, it wasn't even a slip up. That was just that was you know, good, the now, though. The now like, former VP communications. But, um, but it sounds to me like what Eric Rachel is Whetstone. saying. All, it sounds to me what Eric is saying is that um, political reporters will get played and that tech reporters won't. No, no, no. I'm oh, not I, I, I think we're both played. getting played. And that political reporters just go for like this sort of like crass gotcha, but tech reporters would never do that. Oh, no, I think they both go for the crass gotcha. I, I think it's I, I don't think there's a huge amount of value in, you know, whether it's a national news reporter or whatever, you know, like a, a TV anchor or a morning news anchor or a tech reporter doing the interview with Mark Zuckerberg. I don't think there's going to be a lot gained from it other than whatever their coaching allows for. If they're well-trained, they will say things that are kind of meaningless and deflect from the quote-unquote hard questions. And if they're not well-trained, they'll say something stupid that makes maybe the news cycle last for a couple days longer. But I just don't, like the great reporting that has come out that has held Facebook and all these other tech companies' feet to the fire have come not through these sort of... Exactly. You know, it wasn't a one-on-one -on -one interview, interview with Mark Zuckerberg. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So that's why it's, it's like, I don't care. I mean, you know, when I see people like Kara, who I respect, um, it, you know, and, and other reporters saying, oh, they're not giving me the interview. I just think, okay, th that's their choice because they're running a press campaign right now. Exactly. Who cares? Exactly. You're going to get mean, so much more from getting people leaking to you. And, and, and getting them all exactly. messed up that way, then like kind of bitching and moaning on Twitter about the fact that you didn't get the interview. I don't care. Well, I don't, I, care I don't know if I'd interview. call it bitching and moaning, but I, I mean, because I understand the frustration. When it comes to campaign reporters, I'm much more skeptical. It's because a lot of what the reporters are doing there is saying which stories matter. And that fundamentally the democratic process is, there's no like super sophisticated version of it. There's like, there's what the elites think is important. There's what regular people think is important. So, so participating with beat reporters on campaign reporting, you're, you're giving it up to a certain set of people to say, oh, we're obsessed with Hillary Clinton's emails or whatever, when that's just their view on what storylines matter the most. So I'm just much less deferential to campaign reporters about what stories matter than I am on something like the Justice Department or Facebook, where there's a level of like understanding an organization the technicalities where I really do respect the beat reporters for really having a sophisticated view. And so I, I would like to support them and having more information to, to continue to develop that. And I believe in that sort of elitism. That's my full view. The elitism of reporters who are very knowledgeable about their beats and are not covering specific Which is like campaigns. you trust like an academic yeah. to be, I mean, but like a campaign, I just don't think you can have that. Like, sure, if it's like the factual matter of what's happening on a campaign, do I trust the campaign reporters more to know on a personnel level? But do I trust them more to decide that the personnel level stuff of a campaign is what we should care about most? Like, should we have written Jimmy Carter off more as much as he was because they were sort of incompetent or should we have cared more about sort of the general moral vector of what he stood for relative to his opponents? Like the media is great at getting us to focus on weird competence stuff over the actual moral character of political campaigns. And that's why I'm super negative on campaign reporters. Okay.
I think we can. Eric, all Eric's still torn that. up about the 1980 uh, Carter re-election <laughs> campaign. I didn't see the the podcast go in this direction. Eric, you but... weren't even born. <laughs> you were not born. <laughs> But Nick, yeah, Katie is the only but, one who but, I think was Reagan around for that. Bad, kind of, is the, like, I was three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No morning in America was hard to hard to overcome. I uh, I think we can all agree. We can agree with that. Anyway, so we've really um, we've really well. I really was put on a back foot there, and I I needed to sort of come up with my full full view. Well, I was worried that Katie, when she was going to come back from her call, was going to tell us like we have ten minutes before the nuclear subs. <laughs> this country are going to be sending like ballistic missiles so no, guys i hate to cut a, the episode off early but your bunkers are now case. Just, a, just some spies i don't know where we go from there uh back to the uh the threat of tech to, reporters we, other than but now however if you're working in a tech company and you reach out to a reporter and say i would like to spy for you you're yeah. gonna get a very different reception yeah, well, we're, you know, like we said last week or two weeks ago now, it's like we're, we're in the age of whistleblowers. You know, there was like a handbook that came out uh, uh, last week led by, I think, the Pinterest whistleblower that are trying to encourage employees, to, you know, or, or, or instruct them on the right way to become a whistleblower. You, too, can become a whistleblower, madam. I, and I, 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 I'm, I'm interested to see where that's going to go, because it all to me like rolls back into this topic that we've been hitting on over and over again the last couple of weeks, which is like whistleblowers are or, or leakers, whatever you want to call them, are the results of a section of a workforce that is not happy with the way the companies run and do not believe internally that it can be fixed, that there are the, the infrastructure in place for these things to be repaired. Uh, and some of them maybe just want fame. Um, you know, we can debate that. But I, it seems like the, the upsides of that are much less than, you know, the downside of. You know, yeah, because once you get fame, like quote unquote, like you don't get right. to work you're, again. So. Right. You're Snowden in Russia like it's right. not, or, or Chelsea Manning in prison. It's uh, not great. I mean, I wanted to make another uh, point quickly. I mean, the just just sort of how this latest Brian Armstrong tweet about, you know, the whining one could come off well in the future. I mean, I, I, I think like in the future, you know, we could look back on it as just sort of things are too negative. There's sort of relentless, like sort of whining about tech companies and it's like not doing anyone any good, which I, I mean, with the Facebook stuff, it's like I'm personally exhausted of the stories. I but the problem is that just like Facebook is not democratic. And so that the only way to really change Facebook is for such a heavy handed, relentless focus on it, that then something happens and it's like not enjoyable. Like to me, the solution, I mean, I don't necessarily want companies to be democratic. I don't know what the solution is, but the problem just in terms of like the TV show on Twitter is that these things take so long. You have to like be so heavy handed about trying to change them. Even though, like, everybody who's in the know is, like, tired of hearing about Facebook. Or I don't know. What's your well, Eric, about? I have a question for you. I mean, do you do you think that given what's happened with Facebook, you know, venture capitalists and boards in the future might be less willing to give the CEO 100% control? No. Like, do how many how many of these problems would have gone away already? When you say what Mark's, happened with Facebook, when you say what happened well, with Facebook, right. becoming a trillion yeah, dollar company. Exactly. I guess that's like, true. Like they don't fucking right. care. No, I guess fact, that's true. Him having yeah. boundary control makes their lives easier because they're not really culpable. Because right, they abdicate so why, all responsibility. Why, if I were a VC watching the whole Facebook thing, I'd be like, oh yeah, 
We better give them all 100% right. control. I mean, Mar right, Mark exactly. Andreessen and Peter Thiel would get way more backlash. I don't even know some of the other people on the board, you know? But if, if they were the true, truly in control, there would be much more sort of effort, um, I think, to get them personally yeah. accountable. If there's anything we've learned from the Facebook trajectory these days is that venture capitalists can invest in a company, give total control to the founder. The founder can become and make them insanely wealthy. And then you can spend the rest of your time complaining on Twitter about how no one likes you. <laughs> you don't understand what went wrong in the process. And you're like, sounds like it's a pretty good trade-off uh, for, I mean, for at least what their personal incentives are. I mean, that does, of course, bring us <laughs> to... <laughs> <laughs> that does bring us to that very fateful uh, board meeting between yeah. the, the meeting. Is this the, the moment? <laughs> is this the moment where we, where we reveal? Me. She's like, nobody cares about the name. You can't, don't just say why we named the show the name. Now well, we're going to bury mean, we, it at the end of the episode. You know? But we know. It's we a post-credit sequence. <laughs> but, you know, what was it? Five years ago, the court unsealed these messages between Mark Zuckerberg and then board member Mark Andreessen where Zuckerberg was trying to negotiate um, basically a class of stock that would allow him to both sell and make a lot of money, but retain control. And uh, I think that these text messages are so, <laughs> so present because this is what allowed Zuckerberg to maintain control. And if Eric is correct, and the lesson to be taken from this is as a board member, you no longer have to have any responsibility and you can make a lot of money by creating like a complete dictatorship within a company with no board oversight, that's horrifying. <laughs> well, you know, Mark Andreessen is supposed to be looking out for shareholders and extracting right. something from Mark Zuckerberg um, in, in sort of negotiations over his voting control. But from the text, it does feel like to me that Andreessen is clearly just trying to help Zuckerberg and coach him through it. So uh, yeah. from, from Business Insider... When the special committee approved the stock reclassification in mid-April, Andreessen cryptically texted Zuckerberg, quote, the cat's in the bag and the bag's in the river. Zuckerberg then asked, does that mean the cat's dead? Andreessen wrote, mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> and thus, the First Amendment and democracy were destroyed. <laughs> but the, the, right? the cat's dead but the name is of too a hard to pronounce. Was, was created. <laughs> so it's dead cat. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is easier to say. All right, I, I'm hearing literal wood being chopped outside my house right now. I think I've really overstayed my, my babysitting time with Cal, so I'm probably going to have to log off. All right, off, sounds but, good. Uh, all right, Bye. Bye. thanks everyone. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.